Hello and welcome to Plato's Cave, a triple R film criticism show and podcast. I am Sally Christie and in the cave with me tonight we have Cerise Howard. Hello. Hello. Emma Westwood. Hello, Sally. Hello. And we have a very special guest. Some Plato's Cave royalty has returned for the evening, which is Alexandra Haller Nicholas. Blast from the past. I know. It's so the queen. The queen. Blasting from the pasting. <laughs> it doesn't even mean anything. It does. Look, it does. Look at all maps. <laughs> So on tonight's show, we are going to phone home with Steven Spielberg's classic E.T. the Extraterrestrial for our retro pick. And Alex is going to tell us all about her recent adventures at TIFF, which is the Toronto International Film Festival, for those of you that are unaware. So Alex has seen lots of great things there she's going to fill us in on. Um, But before we get onto that, we are going to take a trip to Colombia which I'm going to do in real life later this year, which is exciting. Colombia. (laughs) Yeah, with Birds of Passage. Um, So, Sierra... Now I'm going to... Cerise fix it. Cerise fix it. I've got all this pressure on me now. I'm going to ruin, butcher somebody's language. Mm. Sierra... Awkward, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Sierra Guerra. Okay, Sierra Guerra. 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 I can't roll my R's, so... Neither can I. Christina Gallego. Okay. I'm going to do that. I'll look at you when I need. Yeah. Yep. Not right. Christina Aguilera. So, <laughs> Aguilera. Who directed the acclaimed Embrace the Serpent in 2015, returns with Birds of Passage, who he co directed with Christina Gallego. Thank you. Um, so, Birds of Passage is centered on the Wayu indigenous people um, during a crucial point in recent Colombian history. So torn between his desire to become a powerful man and his duty to hold up his culture's values, Rapayette enters the drug drug trafficking business in the 1970s and finds quick success despite his tribe's matriarch Ursula's disapproval. Ignoring ancient omens, Rapayette and his family get caught up in conflict where honour is the highest currency and debts are paid with blood. Cerise, what did you think of Birds of Passage? That's gorgeous. Mm. Yeah, this is this is my sort of gangster movie. Um, yeah, it's familiar but very unfamiliar. Um, I think it actually starts in the very late sixties. Yes, nineteen sixty-eight. Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah it's broken up into five chapters or mm. songs. Yep, I really enjoyed mm. that that mm. sort of separation with the songs. But yeah, sixty-eight was where it kicked off. Yeah, and it, it, I mean, I don't know all that much of Colombian twentieth-century history. But certainly I know that in more recent times it is a country, um, which I'm sure is not especially appreciated this, but it's become very much, um, I wouldn't quite say synonymous, but with the drug trade, with certain, well, not, not necessarily these drugs. This is really very marijuana-centric. Mm. Um, still about tilling the fields. There's some traditional ways of life here, which have now met some modern ways of life and some interesting new international trade possibilities uh, that some folk have established there's money to be made out of um, if you just sell to some green girls who will come in their planes every once in a while, um, warn you about the perils of communism and buy all your pot, um, seemingly for quite handsome sums of money, enough to buy the most extraordinary palatial residence I have 
ever seen in a film, I think, mostly because it is so utterly bizarre and poorly located. That was one of my favourite <laughs> yeah. things about this film as well, was looking at that sort of progress with where they lived and how it was still completely bizarre and that sleeping in the hammock and these open spaces. It was, yeah, really Yeah, and then this supposed fortress, you'd think, of, or at least... but Because, yeah, it was this, it charts this really interesting time where traditional codes of honour start to cease to be observed because of the influence of the, the drug trade. So what for me that building is quite abstract in its mm. design. It's clearly not as functional as all that, but it's there as a big status symbol. But as say as uh, if it were to somehow serve as a, a a fortress to protect the people there, the important people from other baddies, um, uh, it, it was never going to be very functional because it's it's quite no. porous to say the mm. least. It's um, yeah, but what an extraordinary edifice. Um, yeah, I, re- I really adored this film. I found it really captivating um, and really interesting. The the, the ancient ways, both um, things that still resonate today, codes of honour, uh, ways of being in the world, plus some really curious superstitions, which and which were really most fascinating in showing some burial and exhumation rituals. That was really fascinating. And I presume based on actuality, based on real practices. Um uh, and, and just how that collides with uh, the, what the young people are into these days, which is fast money and and um, probably really quite powerful marijuana. Um, yeah, chaos ensues, but in a nice leisurely way. Yeah, yeah. I was completely transfixed with this. Uh, I, I thought this was unlike anything I'd ever I'd ever seen before. And like uh, Ciro Guerra's... <laughs> You're laughing at me, Sally. No, trying no, to say that. Say, I'm sorry, that's uh, me. Embrace of the serpent is was felt very fresh and very new, although tilling a soil that had been has been presented in um, very familiar ways in Western culture. So I, I, I felt that this was had was epic in nature. It felt like something like The Godfather or something that could be scorsese eyes with funky music or certain cues. Irishman. Just add some Irishman. Irish, just add <laughs> some Irishman. Thanks, Alec. I'm here to help. <laughs> Haven't you missed me? <laughs> but yet is a, a very uh, a Latin retelling of this or, or, or a depiction of this. And it starts in the Indigenous and it remains completely Indigenous throughout, yet um, we feel the the changes of what they go through and this and this is what happened in Embrace of the Serpent as well, the commodifi- commodification of an Indigenous culture or how um, the, the Western influence comes in and um, it doesn't feel quite as... It's insidious but it doesn't completely... Overwhelm. That's what I like. What he he manages to do. He manages to keep it very sincere to the the roots. Mm. It's grassroots in every way. Yeah, I really I love this for lots of reasons. It did. To be honest, it took me a little while to kind of get moving with it. The pacing of this film, it's, you know, it's not a long run time. It's just a little over two hours. But from what this film opens with to what it closes with is so vastly different. And going on that journey, it seems, yeah, like you were saying, Emma, it seems like this big epic thing. Um, 
there was yeah a, a lot to like about it it was interesting as well that we look at this and it is marijuana that they're trading in because we go oh Colombia we expected to cocaine or something like that you know something very stereotypical so it was interesting there as well and the way that it opened I hadn't read anything about the film before I'd seen and it turned out to be a very different film from that beautiful opening sequence where um I forget his name but she's sort of rite of passage of becoming, Zeta Zeta yeah of becoming a and woman and she's bird. Yeah, and she's a bird. And there's birds that strange peppered bird all throughout this film. Mating ritual yes. thing. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, this film was a, from that opening sequence and the way that um, Rapayette sort of says, you're my woman, this was a very different film than I expected. But, yeah, totally gorgeous. And that character progression, particularly with Ursula and the way she is the... Um, matriarch she is mother yes um for those of you that are just tuning in we're talking about birds of way passage birds, birds of, of passage, passage. <laughs> i knew i was gonna do that i do have a nice strelitzer um birds of paradise in my front garden well, but there's a, there's a movie coming out <laughs> called that soon but um <laughs> so birds of passage we're talking about now but uh, i also really like the way that ursula who is the one that sort of gets spoken about at the beginning of this film that you need to convince her if you want to be part of this family this is Rapayette. Um, you're going to keep family tradition in check. And how money comes in and she's really sort of trying to cling to these family traditions but things get spiced up a little bit and how this kind of begins to slip away. And, yeah, it was really sort of completely gorgeous on screen. And as well, Cerise, I loved the the house that they had. Oh, extraordinary. <laughs> but, there, yeah, this, it was quite a matriarchal yes. culture there. But then it's increasingly getting sidelined by this sort of machismo, sort of a patriarchal element, a younger generation of of men who are dangerous and who are a bit disrespectful. Yeah, that was the the way, I I don't want to give away too much, but the way that that kind of shifted I didn't see coming at all um, with that kind of character development because this movie spans from 1968 till 1980 Mm, something? Early 80s. So over a decent amount of time. So we see people with in this tribe, um, you know, grow up and get older and the influence, I guess, of money coming into this tribe on them um, and the, you know, how that sort of pans out for them that took interesting turns at an expense. Yeah, though there's a lot lot in the mix. So it's not just this uh, Indigenous tribe, but there's also just the non-Indigenous Colombians mm. as well as the, the Americans who've just, who jet in and... Exactly, uh, and, the, yeah. and the divide between the Indigenous tribe and the non-Indigenous Colombians was very strong and it played out in language in a, a very evocative yeah. way as well. I loved Moishas or whatever he was called. Who he was, was very this, charismatic. Yes, he was. He was, he was amazing. Yeah. And his character also, I just loved the way that he was, His uh, he kind of tempted the character. He was the one dancing with the music and all the like hip gyrations. And the, there was just this, this great presence of him every time he came on screen. It was interesting. I know, Emma, you and I were talking the other week about the character progression of um, Walter White and Breaking Bad. And... And with Rapayette in this film, the, his opening line that he has in uh, this is the, the main character uh, is "You're my woman now." So he's instantly very. I found him instantly very unlikable. Yeah, 
And, yeah, I, I really liked his character development through this and how it kind of waxed and waned through you felt sorry for this guy, you thought he was a total asshole, And, yeah, this it was a really kind of big, well-rounded picture of how somebody's gone from, you know, wanting wealth to getting wealth and then what that has done to them. Yeah, and mm. the clear, the, the, the blurring of gender lines yeah. too. This idea that he's saying, you're my woman, mm-hmm. yet... Ursula, the mother-in-law, I love this idea too because it really plays out in a a Western context as well. The (laughs) son-in-law and the mother-in-law, how their relationship was so key and the power struggle between the two of them. Yeah, there was always over... The permission asked for everything from yeah, you know yeah. mother and throughout you know the entire. Family. Did you two uh, get a kick out of the sound design as well? I yeah, I really found quite it. Something. Yeah, yeah, it was really interesting, very interesting. But I think visually the the difference between and and actually managed to create because uh, there is uh, a partnership that could that may have become fractured later in the film that uh, is physically represented through this idea of the desert people and yep. then the people that live in a more mm. forested area. It's a, it's a, it's a really beautiful looking film and it's uh, and, and as I said it's it's an epic. I felt this was an epic and it was an epic that played out in 2 hours and 5 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt that too watching it perfect. but I had gone through this huge journey and felt like I was watching a very different film to what I began with. Mm. And yeah, like we mentioned earlier with Birds of Paradise. Yes. <laughs> Uh, it's broken down, I think, into six songs. So we see this kind of progression that the tribe threw out those songs. So if you are interested in this, and I recommend that it was very great, um, Birds of Passage is currently screening at all. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber... Hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. So why Alex has returned to us this evening is to talk to us more about films that she has just returned from last... Was it last week you got back? Uh, yeah. From TIFF, yep. which is um, the Toronto International Film Festival. You that um, aren't sure what TIFF is. Uh, so how many films do you think you saw there? Too many. Too many? Too many. <laughs> so we're going to try and break this down into a little segment. Um, first up, they've been doing for the past couple of years Share Her Journey, which is um, a five-year commitment to increasing participation skills and opportunities for women behind the camera in fr- and in front of the camera. So their plan is to prioritise gender um, with focus on mentorship, skills development, media literacy and activity for young Young people. So this is something that you um, wanted to talk a little bit well, about. Yeah, Alex. I mean, I um, in the spirit of transparency, the mm-hmm. only reason that I was able to go to TIFF was partially due to funding or partial funding from the Share Her Journey campaign. And this is so your, your second I, year there. This as is well? my second yep. year. So they they invited me over last year, where I hung out with our uh, ex Plato's Cave comrade Josh Nelson extensively, <laughs> um, and smutty jokes ensued, and movies were watched <laughs> like the old days. Um, so yeah, this was my second year at TIFF, um, partially funded by the Share Her Journey campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know about you guys, but for me, just even being a woman film critic and being considered part of the quote unquote industry was 
almost a bit of a shock. I mean, it's... Yeah, <laughs> you that, know what um, I mean? that, that happens every it's, now and then. Yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, wow, like I'm not a hobbyist, you know. Mm. So it's... it's You're not a fan. No, no, I'm not eager. <laughs> well, I'm sometimes eager. Um, so, look, I mean, the Share Her Journey thing, it, it, we're seeing a lot of this, I think, post-2017 mm-hmm. and the, the shenanigans that came to the fore that year in particular. Um, I believe that this program started before that. Um, but I think, you know, there's been a lot of areas of screen culture in an industrial sense that have talked the talk. And I think we're now starting to see who's walking. Yep. And we can see that in the statistics of um, the number of women directors, mm-hmm. you know, the, who, who's working on films, who's making films, who are the characters in films. And perhaps that progress, you know, when we look at film festivals and questions of parody, I think that, you know, we're really starting to see, okay, who's serious about this, who's not. Yep, yep. Um, and... Um, I'm very conscious of being transparent about TIFF um, paying part of my weight as yeah, part no, of Share, of her, share her Journey. Um, but I saw it and I was there and I saw other women film critics um, as well. You know, like that it was very present. It mm-hmm. was something that you saw. You saw it um, not just um, on the streets and, you know, there's like a big rally and, um, you know, lots and lots of women's films literally screening for free in the streets you know the, oh, the, the uh, anniversary of what's the drew barrymore film which one the, the, no, no, the, one, the one that she directed the uh that was like, it. like it. the 10th anniversary yeah. of that had a big free Derby public film. yeah the yeah. big free public screening and bride and prejudice and things like mm-hmm. that so um so with this and the mentorship is that something that you are involved in or just the criticism side or where do you and so for me it's it's about coverage mm-hmm. um and they have you know a whole whole kind of setup um for for press available um there's a whole industry kind of sidebar lots of conferences yeah. and things um one of the things that i got really excited about and uh, michelle carey who for many many years was the artistic director of MIF. I know that she's heavily involved in this as well. Up until last year, um, I think. Yeah. 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 Just um, last year. Is is they had childcare. They had childcare mm. for industry oh, wow. um industry yeah. participants at, at, at TIFF this year. Amazing. Which a couple of years ago would have been a really big deal for me. Now yep. I just let my child one ride. <laughs> you just do whatever you like. The streets, you know. <laughs> but no, that's amazing. Um, but look, I mean, for me, you know, the I guess um, my I have a very strong interest in in women in film. Um, and uh, Toronto is a great place to go to see films made by women and do films you, about women. Do you, is there like a certain quota that they're trying to have with female directors or anything like that, or you just sort of see that there is a lot more female directors being present? Yeah, I mean, they have like – I think it's less formal than that. I think that there's a lot of debates about quotas um, sure. that are still quite – you know, both sides I think have quite reasonable points, but – uh, this year was the highest percentage of women filmmakers that they'd had. And they have things that, are, and in a way, I think these matter more. Like do you know what a, the percent was? Don't do that. <laughs> you don't have to tell us. Numbers. Massive She's a numbers. Yeah, do you want to? Massive numbers. Great, impressive numbers. <laughs> they had um, a, t- a TIFF bingo card uh-huh. and the very first square was C3 films made by women. Okay, great. You know, the, the Share Her Journey branding is everywhere. It's mm-hmm. before every film. Um yeah, it it just felt. I mean, it felt like it would have been hard to miss that this festival was putting in an effort, yep, um, to highlight work made by women. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, particularly in you know in, in their big high profile gala strand, yeah, um, which had a huge number of 
women, world premieres by women directors. Sounds um, incredible. And I'll just take that for a nice segue to one film that you did see there was an Australian film, the Helen Red Biopic, uh, which was (laughs) I Am Woman. How was that? I've got stories about Here I am. So this is made by um, Anju Moon, and I I don't know whether it's just my generation, but I I've discovered Helen Reddy when I was a kid on the Muppet Show. Oh, I, yeah. some, oh, I yeah. remember on the her Muppet being Show, on the Muppets. and she didn't do it's. You can you can Google it. You she can, didn't do I Am can, Woman. You can Daily Motion it. She didn't do I Am Woman, and I just remember her doing nice little songs with Kermit and hanging out. And I think it was the same series as Liberace and Alice Cooper from memory. Alice Cooper. <laughs> Um, I think Alice Cooper famously called her like the queen of housewife rock. So I, didn't, I don't oh. really know that much about her. Sounds like something Alice Cooper would say, really. <laughs> so it was generationally, I mean, it was sort of Helen Reddy. Like I don't know many people of my age and younger that that's that sort of, oh, Helen Reddy, great. Mm. This film was not in, I was easily the youngest person in the cinema, <laughs> like by a long way. I think in Australian terms, to be polite, I think that we would perhaps say that franking credits would have been high on the discussion agenda (laughs) if that was an Australian audience. But um, the film is a straightforward biopic. It's very competent and it's very loving and I think it's the right film at the right moment in a way because it's such a personal story about a woman and her career and being this poster girl for second wave feminism. Mm. But because it's such a – and, you know, she's a single mum and she gets married and her husband's a jerk but then he's not a jerk or is he a jerk? Ooh, mysteries, mysteries. Mm. Um, But it personalises it. So it takes away a lot of the kind of complexities about second wave feminism that we're still wrangling with today. So, you know, the anti-pornography debates didn't come up, you know, things like that. I spent most of the most of my time in that movie watching the audience because they were abso- they, they were absolutely euphoric. It was like nothing I've ever seen before. They were singing along to every single song. They were crying. They, if something happened to Helen that was good, they would cheer. Really? It was abs- it was you know those old Rocky horror uh, picture show screenings where yeah. people would it was like that. I mean the the, the with investment mums. Old mums. Grandmas. Yeah, I'm like, going to take they, my mum to see and it. And it was just beautiful. Like they and it, it was like this is almost un in a, in a critical sense, I can't really approach this from the for, in terms of the content, sure, because the impact that it had on the audience was just like nothing that I'd yeah, ever amazing. seen before. It was really beautiful to witness it. And another Australian film that you tiff that I'm particularly interested in hearing about is the history of the Kelly Gang. I want to talk about. Uh, so I've I've noticed that um, the new Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds because his son is in it. Earl Cave. Yes. Okay. I'm going to say this. I want to be one of the first people in Australia to put this out there. Earl Cave in a frock is your new sexuality. <laughs> is he old enough to be our new sexuality? Oh, my Lord. Oh, my goodness I think I could me. get arrested, Alex. It's Look, I, I'm a Justin Kurtzel fan and I think, you know, I mean, but I, I'm fair to say I'm a little bit Ned Kelly weary. I, you know, it's it's something that most of us have grown up with. And yes, you go up to Rutherglen a lot, so, you know, <laughs> Beechworth. And, do they yeah. still have the animatronic up at Glen Rowan? I, I haven't think been up there Look, last time when I was in primary school and I went, yeah. they did have it, yeah. and I could get like a Ned Kelly. Well, this was Sarsaparilla filmed or up something. around there, and and it's it's this is my favorite <laughs> Kurtzel film by a long shot. Oh, really? Uh, wow, no question. And um, it's it's closest, I think, in style. Even though it's got a kind of true crime thing like Snowtown, it's closest in style, I think, to Macbeth. Okay. It's very it's this very unique Australian version of German expressionism, I guess is the closest that I could describe it. It's formally and stylistically just breathtaking. Mm. Um, but it's very much 
you know, it, it's a it's a lad story, and it's like how do you put how do you how do you feminize this this iconic Australian boys will be boys. You know, Which, I think that, that this is not the time for Mick those kind Jagger? of stories. Was Mick Jagger in it? <laughs> not no, this one. <laughs> not this one. Um, do we? I don't know when. It, when is that getting a general release? Do we know? I think I believe I've heard very recently that it is coming to streaming before the end of the year. Oh, it's going and, to but streaming. it's also going to cinema. Okay, um, but that's that's not, don't hold me to that. Okay, yep. But that's um, a surprisingly essential film and interesting again to watch that with a Canadian audience who never heard of Ned Kelly, but who had yep. their own as a as a colony, you know, had their own kind of variations of mm-hmm. the. Of so the what, theme. what was their reaction, Alex? Loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. was I was sitting next to these two women. Shout out if you're. If you're, um, they're wonderful, and they were they they didn't know that it was a true story. Um, it's it's set in the um, it starts when when Ned is a little boy, um, and it's winter, and it's this beautiful landscape of those blackened bushfire uh-huh. trees that sort of scar the white landscape and you know the corrugated shed. And they they thought that was all this sort of abstract because they think of Australia and they think of this sort of yellow outback. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like no, 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 no. Like mm. seeing seeing those black. Trees is such a uniquely Australian thing, mm-hmm. you know that post bushfire aesthetic, and seeing that really brought to life. And um, what this film does, what Kurtzel does, um, he works with um, Ari Wagner, who's uh, an amazing cinematographer. She did In Fabric um, with Peter Strickland. She's a very diverse cinematographer. But what she does with this film is really and Australian mythology through the visuals is something really extraordinary. No, I'm really excited for this one. Um, another one that I just found out is going to be a Boxing Day release is Taika Waititi's new film, Jojo Rabbit. It's gorgeous. It's, it's yeah, like, I'm so excited for yeah, it. Everything it, he does is beautiful. It's abs- and look, the, and that's another one to see with an audience. Uh-huh. Um, there's something really – I mean, that won the um, the People's Choice Award and people were just leaping out of seats. They, you know, it's, really? Yeah, I mean, oh. I think that it takes – there's a softness to his work and a, yeah. and a kindness and a gent- like a, a sort of uh, there's a lot of heart in his work and I think that a lot of critics have been no we need you know we need anti-Nazi films to be tough and to be mean and to be grown up and arty no, and I it's think like that's you know what's what? beautiful about we, him we and need, that's what works is need, his gentleness we need mm. anti. Nazi films and anti-fascism films and just gentle reminders that maybe Hitler was a bad guy. We need them that we can take kids to yes. and that we can take your sort of slightly racist uncle to, not yours personally. <laughs> I'm, not going, I'm sure I've got one I'm or two I'm not going anywhere I'm with sure him. I've got one or two of them. <laughs> but it, it is that kind of film in that you can sort of, oh, you know. And it's it's Thomas and Mackenzie um, who was in um, Deborah Granick's Leave, Leave No, no Trace. Trace. Mm. She she was one of my, my stars of TIFF this year. She's in Jojo Rabbit, mm-hmm. Steals the Show, which is no small task. She's up against Rebel Wilson doing her best SS Madam. Well, and Taika Waititi um, really? himself. Taika Waititi in the most impressive Hitler-esque pantaloons, yeah. jodpers. Um, and and um, she was also, of course, in uh, the Ned Kelly film. The true history of the Kelly Gang. Oh, really? Yeah, she's 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 the next big thing. So here's here's what you get from me: Earl Cave in a frock, Thomas and Mackenzie next big thing. Take notes, people. You heard it. Yeah. <laughs> what other? Is there any other particular sort of standouts that you saw that we should kind of keep our eyes peeled for? Yeah. Look, coming to Netflix. I can't believe I just said that like a PR person. Oh. Coming to Netflix. There's coming to Netflix in this summer. Um, the end of November. There is a film by a woman called Maddie Diop. Um, which has just been nominated as the Senghalese Oscar entry. Uh, it's called Atlantics. Mm-hmm. Now, this uh, had its world premiere at Cannes uh, and it won the Grand Prix. She's the first black female director 
nominated for the Palme d'Or. She was in Claire Denis' 35 Shots of Rum. Um, she's one of the main actors in that. It's a lovely film. Her film, Atlantics, is unbelievable. It's, it's just one of the most beautiful films. It's one of these films that plays with genre tropes. I would not call it a horror film, mm-hmm. but it plays with a certain iconography of horror to tell the most extraordinary love story about um, you know the, the the immigrant experience. It's just a, it's just a beautiful, complex, really unique film, um, mm-hmm. and that's something really special to to keep an eye out for. Um, and that's a really kind of you know like top shelf share her journey kind of vision. Yep. You know, like a um, you know I mean how many I, I've never seen a film made by a French Senegalese woman before. <laughs> so that was a first for me. Um, Marjane Satrapi is a favourite of mine. She has done, I'm not big on biopics. She did a, um, an amazing biopic, however, on uh, Marie Curie, which is coming out oh, really? in Australia uh, 2020, I think, early next year. And it's really special. It's called Radioactive. And it's really, it's, it's you know, I mean, biopics are always a little bit colour by number. Um, but... So, you know, with the with the politics of 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 what Marie Curie's research um, in you know in radioactivity was sort of where that went, yep. you know, where, the, where we where we all know that that went. I mean, this film doesn't shy away from things like um, Chernobyl or Hiroshima, mm-hmm. things like that, and it's yep. a really difficult thing to balance. And she didn't need to do that. And I, it's a really intelligent film. It's uh, Rosalind Pine. Mm, yeah, um, awesome. It's 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 a really great performance. It probably will be an Oscar. I would be surprised if it wasn't, mm-hmm. um, but didn't feel like Oscar bait, which is always nice. That's good. Yeah. That's that's director nice. again? Is that, That's not the Persepolis. That is exactly it is. who it is. Oh, really? Yeah, Comic is, book that is, and yeah. animation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she did a great film a few years ago called The Voices, a mm-hmm. sort of black comedy horror film with Ryan Reynolds and talking animals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's that a really was great, interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, that she's was, a really that diverse was a big filmmaker. surprise, that film. She's a really, yeah, really fascinating. So, look, I'm just going to talk about the women, the women. Katrin Gebb uh, mm-hmm. has a new film called Pelican Blood. She had a film, I believed it played here. Oh, and I've gone blank on its name. You're going to have to Google it just to test when me. When did it play here? How long um, ago? A while ago. A while ago. Um, what else? What else? You, people, uh, the horror. This is what I do, the horror. Maddie Doe has a new film. Mm-hmm. The, the our, our friend Maddie Doe. Beautiful Maddie, yes. Maddie is uh, a Lao filmmaker. She's done an extraordinary film called The Long Walk, which still deals with sort of folkloric spirits, which mm-hmm. is her terrain this one has a science fiction edge um this is interesting because she's very much a genre filmmaker but it also it played in the contemporary world cinema strand not the genre strand okay that's really interesting Um, yeah so it's it's starting to sort of reach a different audience Mm -hmm. um same with uh, nisa hardiman she made a film called sea fever which is worth mentioning for those of you the thing kind of aquatic aquatic madness love that um i do Aquatic Madness. <laughs> Aquatic Madness. I saw a terrible film. Can I tell you about the terrible film? Yes, tell film? us, tell us. I saw the Gene Seberg biopic. I thought oh, you were going to say you no. saw the Gene Simmons really? biopic. <laughs> <laughs> we have to wait for him to die before we get the good biopic. <laughs> Kristen Stewart is amazing and she was born to play Gene Seberg. Yeah. This is directed by um, an Australian theatre director. We did a, um, we actually did his an earlier film called Una that he directed, which had... Sorry, I'm not sure if you were here or Emma. No, I don't think so. But it had... um, uh, Mendo. 
He's, he's got a Mendelsen. full name, doesn't he? Yeah. Ben Mendelssohn. Thank you. Thank you. Mendo. Yeah. <laughs> Mendo. Mendo. Um, and this was, I mean, you know, the, the life story of Gene Seberg is a is a, a amazing, story. devastating story, yeah. tragedy. And and you look at photos of Gene Seberg. You look at photos of Kristen Stewart. This is the role that she was born to play. She puts her all into it, and it is the most bewilderingly stupid film I've ever seen. Oh no! Abs- I left fuming, just ranting at strangers. Oh. <laughs> Did they have? Um, um, Otto Preminger in there? He gets a mention. Not, uh, not fondly. Not fondly. No, but I don't, yeah, I don't he think doesn't. he would. But I was wondering who would play him. But anyway. No, it, it starts sort of later in her career. It's not oh, actually okay. that interested in her career. She's just sort of quote oh. unquote famous. Mm. It's, oh, okay. not, it's not great. Oh, okay, well, we'll know to avoid yeah, that Yeah, so I don't want to be like, yeah, all the films were great. That sucked. And <laughs> Dirt Music, um, another Australian world premiere of the oh. Tim Winton... <laughs> The, 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 the unfilmable Tim Winton novel that won the Miles Franklin Award, nominated for a book of, drove Philip Noyce crazy Did, for years because it was so unfilmable. They film it and they shouldn't have? Gregor Jordan filmed it and he shouldn't have. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, I would high highbrow, big-budget pot boiler. Yeah. So they are a few of the many films that Alexandra Hal Nicholas saw at TIFF, the Toronto International Film Festival. Um, we will endeavour to get a list of those films that Alex has just talked about up on the um, Plato's Cave page on the Triple R website. Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app. Thanks so much for being here. It means a lot. Our final film, which you may have guessed, is E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Um, so this 1982 Steven Spielberg blockbuster quickly became a beloved 80s classic and to say it's loved by many is a massive, massive understatement. Um, but just in case you are new to the film, it's the story of a gentle alien who becomes stranded on Earth. So this being is discovered and befriended by a young boy named Elliot. So he brings the extraterrestrial into his suburban home and Elliot introduces E.T. to his brother and his little sister, played by a quite adorable Drew Barrymore, who they decide to keep. Um, however, E.T. does become ill, resulting in government intervention and a dire situation for both Elliot and E.T. Uh, Emma, this was your pick for the week. So do you want to kick this one off? It was, it was. I just thought of um, films that resonated when I was young and I guess I'm, I haven't chosen films that are kind of quite as sweet as this for my retro selections this year. So I thought maybe I should try and mix it up a little bit. And E.T. was something that definitely affected me. And I think that there was – I kind of wanted to look at this as a, a twofold, um, two-pronged approach, shall we say. Uh, I guess it was timing for me as well. I, at the time that this film came out, I was the same age as the main character of Elliot, played by Henry Thomas. So there was something about this, I guess, that was really pitched directly towards me. But although I think that that is um, part of the the film's genius, shall we say, that the fact that um, adults could be that pitch perfect um, and the adult filmmakers being, I think, largely here Steven Spielberg who pretty much owned this genre of suburban uh, child family dysfunctional uh, split family films of the late 70s, early 80s or something like that. And Melissa Matheson, let's not forget that she actually wrote mm. the screenplay and I think um, 
she had a lot to do with that as well. Um, so, yeah, apart from the chance that I was aged appropriately and uh, therefore this film spoke to me in a certain way, re-watching this film I decided to come from it, uh, look at it from an adult angle and try and sort of, uh, you know, dis- dissect it a little bit more. And um, what really struck, struck me, I mean, it's incredibly theatrical because this film is not a CGI um based film it is all it's all puppetry and animatronics and opticals and um green screen sort of effects um the the i think that i'm not sure how it would play out for a child nowadays um i have no idea actually because i cannot talk from that i think it's still aspect. pretty much embraced I'd like to think so. It's interesting that this, I actually, you talked about it as being a a much loved film, but I I feel like it's sort of semi-forgotten in some ways now. Yeah. How? Well, there was this whole cult around E.T. that was presented at the time that um, I remember it was was not allowed to... There was a long period of time before it was available on home entertainment okay, sure. format. Yep. It was like the, the, that it was too good or too important to be in this format. And then now... Like what they did with the Star Wars on VHS, like different... For a long time, they didn't release them on DVD. Yeah. For that and, same kind of reason. Yeah, same reason. And mm. also, I'd say that um, E.T. falls within that realm as well, yeah. you know, um, the Lucas Spielberg sure. realm. In fact, there's a, a Yoda joke in, in yeah, E.T. There's death stars in the bedroom. There's yeah, lots of yeah. Star Wars things peppered throughout this. But what struck me was how this film sort of plays out. I thought watching it again in a way of um, make-believe versus reality, um, it's it's very, very... Uh, steamy foggy atmospheric mm-hmm. in a lot of scenes and that this idea of flashlights and light cutting through to create this sense of depth in the actual the visual picture of this film but um and even the steam rising from Elliot looking out the window and steam rising from the 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 hand basin and all this sort of thing but it kind of plays out in a way that I, I, I didn't pick up when I was a kid because I was just immersed in it and it was this part of this was my re- this was my reality. But it could almost be that whether he is actually experiencing ET e- or not, whether it's part of the children's world or not, because there's a number of times where the D. Wallace character as a mother is presented with ET and she doesn't see him. She literally doesn't see him. Mm. So it could be that he doesn't actually exist. There's the Halloween costume where he's dressed up and it's meant to be Gertie, the young Drew Barrymore. As a young, It's obviously not her, yet she doesn't <laughs> seem to see it. And it's only, and I love the way that it came through because the adults are always shot um, anonymously from the the waist down, basically. And mm-hmm. the Peter Coyote character, which is basically the grown-up Elliot, is called Keys because all we see is his keys keys, yep. keys on his uh, on his belt. Um, that I think it's the only the time that he acknowledges him that we realise that they mm. are actually ET is a, a real being. And there's something about this film that makes me cry from start to finish. There's been a couple of your retro picks this year that I nearly <laughs> sent you a very sweary text message last <laughs> night when I was watching E.T. because I was just sitting on the couch crying. <laughs> I don't think I've watched E.T. since I, I was a child. And um, <laughs> it was – it's 
it is a beautiful little film, but there's something about his face that just makes me want to cry. He's an amazing monster design. Really, yeah, he, he is. is an incredible monster. Yeah. And kudos to the the designer who mm. came up with him. It's interesting because there's that whole big thing that I we spoke a lot about Emma and I. And Alex spoke a lot about um, Toby Hooper earlier this year and um, Poltergeist and E.T. being made at the same time. So Poltergeist is a film that I've watched very, very recently. And, God, there's a lot of this that looks the Isn't same it? as Poltergeist, like this, um, so the much. streets, the driveways. Um, yeah, so that was really interesting to kind of go, okay, this has been made at the same time. And, yeah, aesthetically it looks very, very, very similar to Poltergeist. Um, Cerise, how did you feel going back to E.T.? <laughs> I hadn't seen this since I was a child either. And I didn't dislike the experience of revisiting it, but cry. I mean, yeah, John Williams drives me insane. The, the, it's so, pushing, isn't so it? overwrought. Yeah. And he still is. He still does that same button pressing thing throughout any Spielberg production to this day. I mean, yes, he has a trademark sound. You can say hats off there, Mr. Williams. Well done. For, but on the other hand, it's really. Good work on the consistency. Yeah. <laughs> consistently irritating, grating. Um, but. The kids in this film are so great, and they're yeah, what they they're what sell it more than ET. Even I think that yeah. the child actors. I mean, obviously, we knew we know all about who, who Drew became when she mm-hmm. grew up. The other boys, I don't know. I gather that what's his name, Henry Thomas, d- does have a career to this yes, day, but it's very yeah. quite a no, yeah. a reasonable yeah. career actually. Yeah. Yeah. He's quite consistent. I wouldn't know him if I saw him in a film. And I looked through his filmography and realised there were a number of films there I'd seen. I've got no idea who he Legends was. Legends of the Fall. Oh. Yeah, no, I didn't see that one. <laughs> <laughs> but there were several I had. I, I I don't know who he turned out to be as an adult. And the the other boy is good too, the brother. Mm. Um, I don't know whether Robert, it was, yeah. Robert McNaughton. Right. Mm. Yeah, all good. <laughs> and uh, Dee Wallace, Stone. Dee Stone? Dee Wallace. Dee Wallace. Dee Wallace. The great Dee Wallace. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah she's fabulous. Um, but her career never seemed to quite make those leaps either. Never really seemed to go super stellar. Um it's a shame because she's wonderful. Yeah, she is great in it. And if you are interested in revisiting ET, like we all did, um, it's streaming now on Prime. You've been listening to Plato's Cave on Three Triple R with Cerise Howard, Emma Westwood, our very special guest, direct from TIFF, Alexandra Haller Nicholas, and myself, Sally Christie. So on tonight's show, we discussed Birds of Passage, which is screening at independent cinemas. Uh, We also revisited E.T., which is streaming on Prime and Google Play and a number of other things. Um, The films that Alex talked about at TIFF will um, hopefully get up on the Plato's Cave page on the Triple R website. In the cave next week, we are going to be discussing the much-discussed Joker and revisiting my pick, John Waters' melodrama, Polyester. So you can subscribe to the Plato's Cave podcast via iTunes or wherever else you find your favourite podcasts. A huge thank you to Faith Everard for editing the Plato's Cave podcast, Carl Chapman for panelling, Lisa Kovacevic for producing the show. Thanks for listening to Triple R's Plato's Cave, a weekly radio show of informed, passionate and fun film criticism. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch with us via the Plato's Cave Facebook page, Twitter or via the Triple R website.